You're listening to episode 13 of the Divine Nobodies podcast. Hello, namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna, joined by the luminous Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be back. We took a week off, but now we're here back in the studio. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and continuing to join us each week. And just sitting alongside me and Jen as we sort of wax poetic about all the different things going on in the world outside as well as within right that's right yeah so you took a trip recently yeah so we went to aspen for a wedding aspen yeah did you do some skiing there (laughs) no and actually i i'm not a winter sport kind of person but um this is off season and it is so incredibly beautiful so green everything in in bloom it was just it was awesome really yeah Wow. Did it, and there's a lot of green there. I don't typically see it because when I see photos of Aspen, I just see people on like ski lifts and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how was the wedding? Um, it was beautiful yeah. and amazing, amazing view, amazing mm-hmm. couple. It was, it was nice and small. I mean, it was only 40 people. Yeah. So weddings are always very, very surreal for me. As I get older, obviously I'm 35 now and everybody around me is either getting married or having children. Yeah. Right. And uh, being invited to a lot of different weddings and they're always really nice, really surreal and really, really beautiful. And um, it's nice when they have like a nice little beautiful soundtrack and you see the bride and the groom and it just it makes you feel really good. Yeah, it does. Plus you get a lot of like the, you get the free food and you get to like meet new people. It's always like a good thing. Yeah. I knew everybody there. I mean, other than the groom's family, there were a couple people that I didn't know, but um, it was Mm -hmm. all like our close friends and, and our, we get to know each other's family as well. Their yeah. families because they're out here. But so how was the trip though? Because I know a lot of people aren't traveling right now. Yeah, right? you know it wasn't. It was actually kind of nice to be honest because we did fly and mm-hmm. um, every other seat was open. There was nobody mm-hmm. at the airport, yeah. so in and out really fast. Yeah, I mean I actually quite enjoyed myself. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I saw a, a friend that had gone um, traveling recently, and they had uh, some footage from what's inside of the actual plane, and there was like five people in there. Yeah, this flight was full, um, but. The only thing that does suck is you have to wear a mask the whole time. Really? That's the only thing. Yeah. It's a long time to be in a mask. Yeah. From the time that you walk into the airport to Mm -hmm. the time that you get to your destination and get off the plane, you've got your mask on the whole time. It's hours. Yeah. Jen actually sent me a video of her sleeping on the plane. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that whole thing when people like, uh, normally it happens inside of cars and normally I see, you know, little kids in the backseat doing shit like this, where it's like they sleep and their kind of head starts bobbing to the left and start bobbing (laughs) to the right. And they usually have like the, the annoyed older brother sitting next to them, just sort of like moving their head like this back and forth in place. Yep. (laughs) But it was hilarious. It was really, really funny. You did have the mask on. I did have the mask on, so I didn't get a sore throat from it. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I get a sore throat from the plane from having my mouth open. I just can't stay awake. Yeah. The second I'm on a plane, it's like a sleeping pill. I'm ready to pass out. Well, that's good. Cause then if, especially if it's like a really long trip, then, you know, you go to sleep and you wake up and you're there. Yeah. You know, that's funny. I actually have been having really interesting experiences with dreams. Before I get into that, though, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that's really, really important that apparently is on a lot of people's minds, especially in the spiritual community, which is the Lionsgate portal. Have you heard about this? Yeah. You know, I saw this on Instagram today and I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, the Lionsgate so, portal. Yeah. Yeah. So basically it is, it happens every year. So it's, it is a major sort of galactic occurrence, Mm -hmm. but it's something that's uh, widely celebrated by the people in our community, but it's something that the Egyptians have been celebrating for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. And you don't particularly have to be into astrology, but if you are, then you'll understand it a a bit more, but it's basically where the star Sirius, which is the brightest star in the sky, Mm It's about two times, probably even more, larger than the sun. Mm -hmm. And that can kind of put it in a perspective for you because the sun's fucking large. Huge, yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen some of those NASA uh, photos where you have like the sun and then you have like, I don't know, maybe something like Mars or the Earth within proximity of it. And you just, 
have an idea of how massive the sun is. Right. I don't know. There's this small part of me that thinks like if there's a God and if all of these other indigenous tribes have been following some form of God, they're probably referring to the sun, sun yeah. right? So uh, it's basically when the star Sirius is in direct alignment with the earth mm-hmm. and it's shooting right down to the galactic center. So imagine it almost being like somebody shining a flashlight or the star Sirius is shining a flashlight onto earth. Mm-hmm. And all you got to do is go outside and throw your arms up and just sort of receive that type of energy. Yeah. Right. So Lionsgate, they call it the Lionsgate portal because it happens um, in the sign of Leo. Leo obviously being the lion. Mm-hmm. It corresponds with that type of energy. And because eight, eight is a synchronistic number, it also is sort of like the, that sort of figure eight. Oh, yeah. Kind of resembles mm-hmm. the continuity and the eternal essence of spirit. Um, a lot of people place a lot of intentions. They do a lot of transformation, but it means a lot of different things. Uh, it can be a really, really great time to manifest abundance. A lot of people, for the most part, just feel very activated during that time. Yeah. So if anybody's listening and you're interested in, uh, you know, getting in on the Lionsgate portal, it happens on the 8th. Okay. So that's going to be this week. So that'd be a really, really great time. I think it happens this week, right? Yeah. So we're in the 4th. Yeah. Yeah, it happens this week, and that would actually be on Saturday. So that's cool. It's not even a work day. Does it make it more visible? I mean, you can see Sirius pretty easily, but is it brighter? Uh, it's supposed to be brighter. Okay. You know, it's something apparently that you can't miss. Okay. So you can use that as a really great opportunity to either, you know, put some crystals out or, you know, write some intentions down Mm -hmm. or maybe write some things that you want to let go of on a piece of paper, just like some of the people do with the new moons, things like that. Yeah. Oh man. Just burn it in some rose water, something like that. (laughs) I do a lot of fun, um, new moon stuff. So yeah. And on your birthday is a really good time. Um, I read this feng shui book and I wish I could remember the name of it, but um, yeah. so I could give them a shout out, but it was really good at how to practice in there of when there's a new moon and it's your birthday, like it's a good it's a good time to do this, yeah. is to take a red piece of paper and a brand new pen yeah. and write down um, all, of your, all of your dreams and aspirations and kind of what you want to happen that year. Yeah. And then you put it in an envelope mm. and hang it above your front door oh. because that's where the chi comes in to your home is through your front door oh really yeah so if you are walking underneath those intentions you're taking them out into the universe every day as you leave your house oh i love that yeah so i did that on my birthday and it just happened to be um actual actually on my birthday on the day it was a new moon Mm -hmm. so um so yeah i did it they're hanging above our door i don't know if you noticed them oh i didn't i'll have to Mm -hmm. i'll have to check them out so stuff like that right yeah so they call it a portal because it's basically like that light shining beaming right into the face of the earth. So if you're outside, you actually, I don't even think you have to even be outside. You're within proximity of that energy. You might as well just place the intention to do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Speaking of intentions, I think it was, was it you that told me about the um, universe checks? No, universe <laughs> checks. What is yeah. the universe check? Oh, uh, universe check. Was, Just writing universe checks all day long. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, can it you sounds... buy groceries with a universe check? <sighs> I wish you could. Well, I guess you can at some point. Whenever the universe finally pays you, right? right. The universe has a bank account. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I can get a hold of those type of checks. So you can do them for if you're trying to manifest abundance, or mm. if you're maybe trying to manifest a new job or a baby. Mm. Um, just write a check to the universe, yeah. and uh, supposedly, who there was a celebrity that did yeah. did this. Who was yeah, that? I think it was Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah. And the reason why right. I know that is because he did, I think, an interview with like David Letterman or years and years mm-hmm. ago, where they were talking about like, well, what were you doing prior to being famous? And he mm-hmm. wanted to make it as an actor, so he wrote a check. And he wrote it for like, I don't know exactly the amount, but it was like a million or a billion dollars or something like that. Yeah. He kept it in his wallet for years. Yeah. And he said it was something that like, obviously people use their wallets all the time. And he said it just became like this crumpled up mess Yeah. that, you know, probably had like water and different things spilled on it. But for whatever reason, it sort of worked out in his favor. He obviously became a millionaire. Yeah. 
you know, that aligns your, your intentions with the universe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some, I feel like I'm going to have to do something. Like I've never done anything like that before. Oh man. You know, there's something else that I do. Um, and actually this was a suggestion from a friend long ago mm. and I ended up reading the book. It's uh, Laura, Laura Vanderkam. She, there's yeah. a book called 168 hours. Um, you have more time than you think. Uh-huh. So in the book, she had a life coach that told her to write down a hundred, um, dreams and aspirations. Uh So it could be about whatever you want, big or small. I mean, it doesn't have to be um, a major dream. You know, it could just be something that you want to accomplish. So I did this. And what I noticed was the first 25 were easy. Like I was popping those out left and right. And a lot of them were travel, right? Like I want to go to Egypt and you know, there's 25. What other ones were in your 25? So I kind of broke it down into categories Mm -hmm. um, of personal development, professional development, Mm -hmm. um, travel. So, uh, and I actually never did the full hundred because they're, I would go back and revisit it. Right. Because there's some, some things that I think of and um, uh, I'll think like, Oh man, I need to put that on my hundred list. So it's, it's not even something that really you even need to have the skill to do it. But Mm -hmm. the idea behind the exercise is um, that you can't plan for something and you can't plan to accomplish something if you don't know what that something is. Right. And uh, I was really surprised by, I thought I knew myself pretty well, um, but I was surprised by the things that, that I was adding later on. I mean, I've had this list for two years and I'm still adding to it. Well, I can imagine it'd be a list, like an ongoing list, Yeah, you know, because human beings are just constantly changing and constantly evolving Mm -hmm. the things that they want, the things that they want to do. There are things back then that I swear I wanted to do before I died that I'd have no interest in doing now. Right. You know? Yeah. So I feel like it's just one of those things that we're constantly going to update. So if you try and narrow all of those things down to 25, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Because there's so many. No, a hundred. So you oh, put a hundred. Yeah. Even a hundred. Yeah. I feel like you'd max, I'd, I'd max out. A, I, I would definitely need more than a hundred. Well, you can go over a hundred, but the, yeah. the minimum idea is a hundred, but I think you'll be surprised. Yeah. I think you'll be surprised. And right when you're around like 55 to 60, yeah. you run out of things to put down. Really? So, so. it have to be something more intentional, more meaningful. Like it couldn't be like, oh, I want to go skydiving. No, it can totally be that I want to go skydiving or it could be something as simple as um, you want to spend your time outdoors drinking your coffee in the morning, like whatever, whatever it is that you want to do. The idea is just that once you put it in writing, it becomes real and then you identify it and then that's whenever that's true. It's like speaking something into the universe. That's right. I think that's the reason why during those new moon ceremonies, and we used to have those all the time in Los Angeles before quarantine started, because I used to do sound baths at them where a large part of that new moon ceremony is writing down your intentions. Yeah. You know, there's something about the, the, the attention that you give and the action that you implement into an intention that makes it more tangible, that makes it more real. Mm-hmm. You know, because our minds, and I think I was reading this the other day, we think about 20,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. That is a ridiculous number of thoughts. It is. You know, and a lot of the time it's that stream of consciousness. It's that data sphere that's always playing out in our minds. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're somebody operating from awareness, then you can kind of just give and take and, and take what's important, let go of the rest. But all those thoughts happening, unless you make the intention to make some of these things happen, they could just get lost in the sauce, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think by writing it down during these new moon and intentions, but also at the same time, I think it's uh, really powerful to not only write down the intention, but to make some room in your consciousness by letting go of things that no longer serve you at the same time. Yes. You know? Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So you write them down and there's something also in the same way that you're like writing these intentions down on a piece of paper and you, you know, put them in a knife safe space, maybe like on your altar. But at the same time, when you write down the things that no longer serve you and you burn it, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of like nice ritual. I feel like um, really, really helps. Yeah. You know, and the new moon ceremonies that I've gone to, it's like everybody's in like a, a large ceremony and that's even more powerful too. When you're with lots of different people that have the same sort of intention of letting things go and manifesting abundance together. Yeah. So they all it's like temple at Burning Man. Exactly. I, I imagine it's like Burning Man too, right? It, it I never actually been to Burning Man, but I, I've heard stories of of people that have um, loved ones that have passed away. Mm-hmm. And so they'll bring different artifacts or different items that had sentimental value and left them 
at these temples or maybe even wrote something on the temple walls. Yep. Is that something yeah. that they do? Yeah, write something on the temple walls and it doesn't, it's just whatever you want to let go of. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be like a deceased loved one, even though yeah. there is a lot of that. Yeah. Um, but some people who got a divorce and mm-hmm. you'll see wedding dresses in there Yeah. Um, or, or rings or, you know, maybe you had a separation from a friend and you wanted to leave leave you know something of theirs behind a sweater or whatever yeah um and on the last day they burn temple and it's silent nobody speaks during the burning of temple yeah um to honor the dead right Mm -hmm. and i've heard that that's a really emotional a very powerful time oh it's awesome burning well the man burning and temple burning are two different things Uh but um yeah yeah no temple's very emotional and it's emotional just to walk through there the energy in temple Mm -hmm. even you know, a week before it burns, whenever it's just starting to collect things, like everything holds energy and all that energy from those items. It's Mm -hmm. incredible to feel, feel it like just vibrate as you walk through there. Yeah. It's really cool. So Burning Man has a regional events or they did, um, before quarantine. And there was one that I used to frequent called Utopia. Oh yeah. And that one was in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's basically like a more scaled back, more smaller version of Burning Man. Yeah. So you find a lot of like the camps that sort of migrate there and you can still find a lot of like the art installations and, and art cars and things there. And I noticed that as I walked through Utopia, they'd have different stations like that where Mm -hmm. there'd be like a room or like a wall where like people were, were writing things down. And then yeah. there was one morning at like, I don't know, three or 4 a.m. where I just happened to be walking through and finding this place. And it just had tons of different notes that people in the festival had left. Wow. And they were so powerful. It was stuff that was just like, I'm sorry for this, or I wish I was more like this, like mm-hmm. just different things that people go through common struggles and ambitions and um, different situations in people's lives where they fell short and different times where they experience trauma and want to heal. Yeah. You know, it's funny, actually on my hundred list, I have, um, I owe someone an apology that Mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't seen in probably 15 years and have no idea where to find them. Really? Um, But I do have that person on my list Oh wow! as someone that I need to apologize to if I ever get the opportunity. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Well, he's out there somewhere. He's out there somewhere. Yeah. You know? And it, it's just thinking about that the other day too. It's crazy how often sometimes we think about people that aren't even in our lives that don't even know that we're thinking about them. Right. That's crazy, right? It's crazy to it, think it, about. Yeah. Because our, our consciousness is all sort of connected, but it's just, it's crazy how much importance we put on specific people or specific situations. And some of these people, um, you know, if you're just a regular human being would have no idea that there's somebody across the world or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, within a short distance sitting in their bed thinking about them right. and wanting, you know, forgiveness or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? So what are the things that you have on this list? Well, um, so I wanted to go to the pyramids in Egypt. I oh. um, have an apology that I owe someone. <laughs> um, I wanted to see the rainbow eucalyptus. Uh-huh. and the pink lake in Australia, a lot of travel stuff. There's a lot oh, of travel stuff, but there's a lot of stuff on there that I've already done. Really? So, um, and this is something kind of silly, but my girlfriend, Jim, um, she got a divorce and had literal lawn furniture in her apartment, like two plastic chairs <laughs> and a TV on sitting on the floor. I'm not kidding. Yeah. And she's a beautiful girl. And if you saw her, she looks like Princess Jasmine. I mean, just her makeup's always, yes. Mm. Yeah, yes. Princess Jasmine. It's weird. I didn't develop really like an attraction to Princess Jasmine until later on in life. Yeah? Because I was more of like an aerial Oh, okay. A little ginger action, huh? Yeah. And that's the perfect example of how we change, right? Right. Because back then I was like, man, aerial was it. And then I got older and I'm like, wow, I I can vibe with that. Jasmine. Jasmine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah, would totally she looks fly like a carpet with her. Oh, totally. <laughs> I can show you the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, I have a story about that from this weekend it's too. It's crazy how we all know the sound, the 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 words to those soundtracks. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't even one of those people that bought the cassette and was just sort of like listening to the stuff on a loop. It's just it, it became so hardwired into our culture that oh, a lot totally. of us can if we were at karaoke at a bar and it came down to just singing a duo, I feel like I'd be able to pull that one off. I've, I feel like you could too. You know? Yeah. There's a yeah. guy, have you ever seen uh, Nick Patera? No. He sings both the male and female part of that song. Really? And if you are not 
watching him do it, you would swear that it was two different people. I mean, really? incredible. Yeah. Mm. It's a YouTube video. You'll oh, have to check it out. It's really good. One of those viral things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it's old. I mean, it's, this is forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a handsome guy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But any, anyhow, I lost my turn. Oh yeah. I was talking about Jim. Yeah. So she looks like real life princess Jasmine mm-hmm. and is always like very, she's very beautiful, very done up makeup, you know, very, yeah. you would not think that she was sitting on lawn chairs in her apartment. Yeah. So she just doesn't have an ability to design for herself. Yeah. And, um, she has like decision paralysis where if there's too many options, she just can't make a decision. Oh, she must be a Libra. Um, she a Libra. I don't know. Oh yeah. my gosh, I should know that yeah, too. Because we're really close that's friends. A, that's a thing. That's a know? thing. But it could also be things with air signs. Do you have problems making decisions or difficulties making no. decisions where there's like a, whenever I, I find one option for something, I'll always automatically find a second and it becomes a sort of game of like, well, which one is better? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I'm only like that with food. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. But now that I'm married, I just have, have him get my option too so yeah, I can try some of it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, talked about that exactly before. Exactly what that's like. Yeah, so she's like a person, Princess Jasmine. Yeah. So anyway, long and short of the story. That was a very long story, but uh, I flew to Dallas and I put that on my hundred list because I needed to make some time to go out there and do this. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the flu, and I was sick, but I had committed to going to Dallas to decorate her apartment, and we spent three days straight shopping all day, every day and sending her back to have furniture delivered. And when I left there, there were pictures on the walls, yeah. furniture in every room. Yeah. Um, she was completely set up. So oh, yeah. Right, so that was on my hundred list of things that I, that I wanted to do and I needed to make time for. So yeah. um, that's what it's about. You just have to make time for things because if you don't make time for them, they never happen. Right. Right. And you're really good with like design and, and interior design and stuff like that. Oh, thanks. You know? That's definitely a good friend. Someone that will just, take a flight over to your house to help you decorate your home. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a a certain level of anxiety that comes from your living space. Right. So people, um, I have another story. Mm-hmm. had a friend that went through a really bad breakup and his girlfriend um, had borderline personality disorder and it was just yeah. a hot mess. Right. So he went into this depression because they were engaged and he thought she was the one and then things didn't quite work out. Yeah. And I went to see him in Austin and his place looked like a fucking dumpster. <laughs> I mean, mismatched furniture, the old food boxes, crap everywhere. Yeah. And I said, no wonder you're depressed. I was yeah. like, I couldn't live like this. You can't you can't live like this. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize like, and you're, you're an advocate for feng shui, Yeah, you know, big time. and at the most practical level, it's like the, the, the inside of your home is a perfect example of what's going on inside. inside. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you have that sort of scattered brained, unorganized sort of inward state, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise that you would have all that stuff laying all over the place. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, I think it's just sort of like a teach his own type of thing because you have these sort of mad, ty- mad scientist types that just gain inspiration from having a desk full of shit on it. Yeah. Right. But Ugh. I think at the very core, if you're looking for somebody, looking for a feeling of that openness and that tranquility, really, really makes sense to have your stuff in order. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. And it, it's simple things. I mean, just even cleaning your space. Yeah. And we talk a lot about about this, especially, you know, in my house too, mm-hmm. with the, uh, interesting energies and stuff that, that we've had in this house since we moved here right. is that every, every piece of furniture, every item holds energy. Right. And if it's something you're not using anymore, or you haven't used in a long time, mm-hmm. let it go, donate yeah. it to someone who can use it and will get derive some joy from it. Yeah. Unless you're a Taurus. <laughs> Tauruses have this ability to just archive different things. Like mm-hmm. my, my sister, she's a really, really beautiful beautiful person, but she has this thing with uh, collecting mason jars. Not even mason jars, but if you get like a can of, like a, a, a bottle of like spaghetti or anything that comes in any type of glass jar, yeah, she takes. Okay. Right? So she's got this garage full of these jars. What does she do with um, actually, Like crafts or? She, I, she actually started um, planting like plants in them. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Yeah. So I think as long as you're using it for in a productive way and you're not hoarding things that you don't need. Right. You know, also that represents a lot of like, you know, problems with attachment that people may have. Yeah. You know, there was a period in my life, especially in my early twenties where I was holding on to a lot of different things because of the sentimental value of it. Mm -hmm. Right. 
But the way that I actually grew up as a child is um, my parents kind of divorced at a really, really young age. Mm -hmm. And um, a byproduct that that divorced uh, involved me losing a lot of things that I most children or most people grew up actually having. So baby pictures or, right. you know, sentimental things like toys or, or stuff like that. Yeah. I don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I used to have a problem with that because that was sort of like the, the affirming the continuity of your life throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, uh, you know, we attach importance and we delve meaning from a lot of these things. So it's not to say that these sentimental things don't hold value, right? but as I got older and I started diving deeper into my spiritual practice, it became more of a practice and a lesson in detachment. Yeah. You know, so I don't have a lot of those things that, um, you know, a lot of people bring with them as they get older. Yeah. So essentially, you know, my recollection of my youth is completely in the past. There's nothing holding me to it. And of course, as I get older, I'm starting to notice myself getting rid of, uh, more rid of things, not holding yeah. on to things, yeah. becoming a minimalist. And there was a period of time and I'm actually still treading into those waters of falling into the van life. Oh, you know, the that'd be so cool. I would love to do that. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about the van life. Yeah. You know, and it's really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, even if I'm not going to be one of those people that just decides to live permanently in a van, some of these people just do it as sort of like a side thing, you know, throughout yeah. maybe a few months out of the year, they'll go and they'll just hit the road. Yeah. And um, I've known people throughout my life that um, had everything, you mm-hmm. know, they had money, they had wealth. And it's not to say that those things were bad, but they stopped, they, they started losing their meaning to these people. Mm-hmm. And they decided to give it all up, get a Sprinter van. And of course, that's the biggest investment that you'll make. Yeah, they're expensive. Because they are expensive, for sure. And then all of the customizations that are involved in them. Yeah. And so I uh, started watching some of these YouTube videos about the van life. Yeah. And I think they average um, about seven, $800 a month mm-hmm. in just cost expenditures yeah. and making this sort of thing happen. Yeah. And a lot of those people happen to just be digital nomads. So these mm-hmm. are people that are in IT, people that program, people that have the ability to make money while on the road. Right. So it's not like people that take to the van life are just trying to scounge around for different odd jobs in order to pay the rent. Right. A lot of the people that do it are people that can make money or they have online businesses. You, you know, know, I had somebody tell me a long time ago and I thought that this was such a great lesson because I kind of did a purging and started over whenever I moved from Texas to here. Mm-hmm. I had a four bedroom house and, you know, lived by myself mm-hmm. on an acre of land. And why? I mean, why do I need all this yeah. furniture in every single room, a formal yeah. dining room, a regular dining room? Who yeah. the hell needs two dining rooms when you live by yourself? That's like, true. it's just ridiculous. That's true. And um, one of the um, PAs that I worked with, he said, you know what your problem is? You're at a point now where you don't own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. Right. And I was like, yeah. It sure does. Yeah. Well, fuck this shit. Let's get rid of it. So <laughs> that's what I did. I put everything in in my house into storage and mm-hmm. sold my house and moved to California with uh, my car and my dog mm-hmm. and whatever could fit in my car. Yeah. And I completely started over. Yeah. Moved in um, with a nice older lesbian lady in yeah. Orange yeah. and lived with her for several, several years and mm-hmm. had Amazon ship me a bed and that was it. So how did that feel for you? Because you obviously went from having um, a certain type of life to being more of a minimalist or maybe taking the risk to go into an environment that was very different for you. How was yeah. that kind of conversion between going coming from Texas to here? Oh man, it was was very different. It was very, well, the people are so different. That was the hardest part. And I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. So I was going from family and a support system and a job I had been at for eight years and, you know, a a very stable life to a very unstable place Mm -hmm. where I didn't know anyone, you know, I was renting a room, you know, had absolutely nothing, but I will say that there is such a relief and sense of freedom being having nothing. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I actually wish now that I could do it again. Mm. I would love to sell my house and just, (laughs) you know, start over. Yeah. Maybe it's like one of those things that comes along with age. I mean, we talked about Elon Musk is, you know, decided to just get rid of everything too. Right. You know, and my mother, different people in my family, just like they go from having something to just wanting wanting nothing which is very very little yeah or maybe you can just look at it as sort of like a 21st century version of sort of like you know futuristic hippies 
because yeah. it's not as practical for us to go and become wandering ascetics in the mountains and just sort of like walk around with like a mug in our hands right. looking for food. Yeah. So we just do it in more practical ways, you yeah. know, because so what people used to do back then, especially during the 60s, is you just basically leave everything behind and sit at the feet of a master for, you know, four to 12 years and attempt to reach that enlightenment, mm-hmm. you know. So it just shows that you don't have to go down to India and like the Varanasi and go through the whole motions of trying to find yourself in that way. You can do it here yeah, too. You totally can. You know, and of course that whole van life thing is a, it, it, it treads more into the waters of the millennial culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people have their own ideas of, you know, what millennials, the sort of ethic that they live by, but I have a lot of respect for them right? because they're, basically growing up in a culture and growing up in a government that never served them. Right. It's not like in the nineties when me and you were, you know, younger where it's like, you still have the ability to work. You still have the ability to maintain some level of like personal life and, and separation between that and work. And you still had the ability to be a kid and do that sort of thing. Right. And the economy for the most part was still maintaining itself. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the millennials, they grew up in a culture that just from the beginning didn't work for them. Right. You know, they got dealt a bad hand. Yeah. You know, it's true. And, and so a lot of people see millennials as lazy because they don't want to just give up their lives to work a nine to five because they know how much it actually costs in order to make a living. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to go to a four year college and spend twenty, fifty thousand $50,000 on a student loan that you're never going to be able to pay back, right. why would you go through the motions of doing that? Right. You know, so they're like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go and take matters into my own hands and try my shot at just doing it independently on my own. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Yeah, no, there's not. And I think that we're going to see more of that van life type culture after this pandemic, as people are losing their jobs and, Mm -hmm. um, and their lives are completely changing and maybe they're not, uh, Mm -hmm. they're not living in their home anymore, working their, their steady nine to five job. People are getting creative and finding other ways to make money. So be really interesting to see what the country is going to look like in, you know, 12 or 18 months from now. Yeah. Yeah. I actually watched this talk by Marion Williamson and actually I think Joe Rogan touched on this, one of his podcasts where it's like the average American cannot absorb an expense over three, $400. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not even like, like people, they don't even have that in savings. Right. And an unforeseeable expense comes down the road. Um, That's what they got. Right. And they can't absorb that. And 40, 40% of all Americans are working remotely right now, mm-hmm. you know, and there are just some small businesses where obviously they don't have the ability to do, to work remotely right. and those stimulus yeah. checks aren't happening. So you, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, people are going to, you know, uh, think less about their luxuries and they're going to go into more of a survival type of mode. But at the same time, because it is a collective awakening, it's like a collective dark night of the soul, people are going to realize how much they don't really need. They don't need it. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, you know, I, I know people right now that have, you know, two story houses that are just suddenly realizing now and that they don't need them. Yeah. And so they're minimizing and they're getting rid of that and settling for something um, so much more practical. Right. You know, and it just shows you, I feel like, and I've thought about a lot of this too. It's like our society, we were moving fast for so long, mm-hmm. so quickly that we didn't really have much time to do anything else. Mm-hmm. We didn't have much time to just sit and really think about what it is, like what kind of mess that we were in. Right. You know, like in our interpersonal relationships, uh, we didn't really think about how much we were actually working. Right. Um, We didn't really think about how our behaviors and certain unconscious behaviors were impacting the people around us or even the environment. Mm -hmm. So I think we are going to see a lot of that. It's going to be this sort of renaissance of people that are, you know, going to get rid of their stuff and just maybe even choose the van life and do that whole sort of thing. Yeah. You know, we got rid of a lot of our stuff too. I had a classic car Mm -hmm. um, before, you know, before I got married and then we bought an RV Mm -hmm. um, and we sold, sold our classic car, sold the RV and just like steadily downsizing. um, Not because we need to, it just feels good. It just feels good to not have this stuff like hanging over our head, especially in such uncertain times. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, but I yeah. like to keep the backpack light. It feels good. It does. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't 
autumn, it doesn't immediately, the thought of something like that doesn't automatically make you feel good. Yeah. You know, whenever you think of the, the idea of like, I think maybe, um, one of the most relatable things is like photographs, mm-hmm. right? This could be a family. This could be of an ex. Mm-hmm. This could be of somebody you were in relationship with. Yeah. And I think everybody goes through this thing. It's like, you know, when you're in the relationship, obviously you love having massive amounts of photos of you and your partner. Yeah. Right. And you have them just stored up in your phone, your iCloud, two gigs is just, you know, archived with all these different photos. But then yeah. suddenly when those relationships end, we have a hard time getting rid of those, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know. It, 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 I feel like everybody's obviously different. I've been to like Instagram profiles where people have like all three of their exes still on their feeds. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I can understand why, because aside of the relationship, it's still a part of your life. Right. And it's still, you know, you still had really amazing moments. There was still a lot of growing involved with that. Yeah. You know, and if you're looking at it from that perspective, that's good. But there are people that like just can't let go of these people. Right. You know, and the idea of, you know, a friend coming along and being like, hey, you got to get rid of this shit if you ever want to move forward. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's not a question of them appreciating the time that they spent with them. It's just a question of like, they wish they were still, still with this with person, mm-hmm. you know? And every single person as a friend that I've been in that situation with where it's like, hey, well, you got to start off, even if it seems small, is you got to get rid of these photos. Yeah. You know, you got to like move on. Right. And um, it's have, fine if you want to keep a copy somewhere in your cloud, yeah, yeah. but to have them on your phone where you're having a constant reminder yeah. and then you're getting reminded about that your ex that just posted another story or whatever, mm-hmm. put it on mute. You don't need yeah. to see that shit. Wait till exactly. you're over it. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I brought it up is because once they finally do get to that point of getting rid of that stuff, they realize that it was just a fear of losing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You realize mm-hmm. that it was just a fear of losing it. It actually reminds me of this really cool um, quote. It's not really a quote because I don't have the exact verbiage for it, but it's something to the effect of, it was actually Osho, is an Osho quote, where he says that when we, when we want something really bad, right? When mm-hmm. we identify some sort of external force as being the end all be all of our happiness, it mm-hmm. could be a person, it could be an object. Yeah. It can be a pet, anything. Anything that we've strived or desired to want, like a car, it isn't so much that this car or this object or this person uh, has so much of the ability to make you happy. It's more of once you finally get that person, the relief that you feel isn't the goodness that you feel for having it, but it's actually the relief that you feel for not having to want it anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting way to kind of see it. Yeah. Because that shows you, I, I think, one, the the power behind desire and the fact that once we get these things that we imagine, you know, we create all these different scenarios of how it's going to make us feel. And then when we finally get it, we realize that that object outside of ourselves doesn't really have the power to do anything yeah. except for help us settle our minds a little bit. That's it. You know what I mean? More money, more problems. More money, more fun. Because I've had situations where I was like, man, Viv, as long as I was in this relationship, as long as she was here by my side, or as long as I had, you know, this this object or this thing, I'd be able, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. But every single time I'd get it. And this goes for everybody. I think everybody's gone down this road of like wanting something so bad and then finally getting it. Yeah. And of course it does make you happy for a little bit. But mm-hmm. if you are empty inside and you are lacking that self-love, it's only going to help you out for a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah, I see this with the return of the ex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when the ex comes creeping back around a year later, two <laughs> years later, retrograde. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, by that retrograde. time you're over it Yeah, and then, you know, you're like, ah, I'm good. You know, I'm going to be okay now. But in the first couple months when they're creeping back around, it's easy to slip right back into that, those old behaviors. Yeah. So, but it does feel good when the ex comes back, does Mm -hmm. feel good. And you're like, nope. Yeah. Not this time, Satan. When they come back after a substantial period of time, yeah, yeah. you know, because that could, that could go into like a really, uh, you know, toxic circular motion. If it's like you guys break up and then like a month later, they somehow peek their heads in and you just go through that whole process. The whole process again. The whole hamster wheel. 
you know, I had a, I had a guy that I dated. It wasn't even like, I, I showed you that picture. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, I yeah. yeah. And, um, this, I was like, not even 21. I was like 19. Oh yeah. And, um, looking back on that picture at what a different person I was. And at the time, yeah. like I just wanted to be with this person. Um, yeah. but he was kind of a, kind of a piece of shit. He was like a little <laughs> bit of a dirtbag. Um, and then he moved out of the country and, you know, kind of got put in his place and learned yeah. a few hard life lessons right. and came back a way better person, which yeah. never happens. Yeah. And, um, and he came back around and then I'm in my thirties and he's, come back to try to reconnect yeah. and it would just, it had been too long and I was too over it. Mm -hmm. And that's just a question of timing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Know? A question of timing. But, um, I, this is the first time ever that is an ex has come back and actually come back a better person. Yeah. That's not usually the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I say it's timing because if you were that person, you know, back then mm -hmm. it might be different, but at the same time, your consciousness and your emotional sort of development at that age is obviously not the same as who you are now. Oh, for sure. You know, I think back at people I've been in relationships years ago and I have absolutely no commonality with them when I think about them now. Yeah. You know, you're like, wow. Yeah. It, yeah. And I think that's why we, we definitely have to be compassionate towards the people that we've been with in the past is because they, as much as maybe some of them have hurt us because I've been hurt. You've been hurt. Mm -hmm. Lots of everybody's been, been hurt by somebody that we consider somebody that we love. And there's that period of like, just, you're just so angry and you're just so pissed because you mm -hmm. feel like a part of you had been, you know, destroyed. But when you think back, I think that's a part of like the forgiveness and the compassion piece, which is like, you realize that they are every bit as responsible and, and involved in helping you develop into the person that you are now. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for, that one, you know, situation or that one, maybe five, 10 minute period of time when you guys had that complete blowout when you were like 19, 18 mm -hmm. years old, it wouldn't have set you on the path of making the decision to even, you know, move to a different place or, you know, pick up a book that was about spiritual evolution or, yeah. or something like that. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I didn't have a person. It wasn't a person that kind of set me down that path, yeah. but had I not moved to California, I don't know what my life would look like. Yeah. Um, because that's really whenever I started meditating and started mm -hmm. manifesting and, yeah. you know, really taking a deeper dive in it and a closer look at mm -hmm. who I was and my life was sucking because it was my fault. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't doing anything to help myself. Right. Yeah. So. It's crazy how we have, like, it's such a delicate process. It's like, um, I think I was listening to this talk, um, a while back by this, he's actually, uh, uh, he's an author. His name is Rob Bell. And he was talking about like the earth on its axis. If it was moved even a few centimeters off of its axis, none of this would exist. Yeah. We'd all like, just fly off. Like this pitch. Just, yeah. It, everything is so approximate. Mm -hmm. And it, that's what gives me the, the feeling, the intuitive feeling that everything is intentional. Right. Because everything contributes to the whole, mm -hmm. you know, like we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the plants and the trees and everything working in collaboration with each other. And just the same, we, you know, wouldn't be going down these sort of radical paths of spiritual evolution and enlightenment if it wasn't for these people that shattered our fucking hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's like a, it, it, it maybe that is a perception that largely comes from awareness because we're able to see both the light and the dark of these situations and realize how much they need each other to coexist. Yeah. So, you know, when I think back of my exes and people that I've been in relationships with, I just, I feel as much gratitude as I possibly can because if it wasn't for that and sometimes it takes somebody breaking your heart to like completely shatter your heart in order to wake up. Oh, for sure. To even your own behaviors. Yeah. You know, and that could have been what happened to that fellow. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have, he could have realized he fucked up so bad that he was like, wow, I cannot continue like this. So I got to go and work on myself. And fortunately for him, just didn't end up working out. But that yeah. could have also been a lesson for right. him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we never really got into the details of it, um, but he just came back 
from this trip a completely different person, like mm-hmm. a, a lot more respectful toward women yeah. and um, more grounded and kind. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a kind person before. He was kind of a prick. Yeah. You know, so um, is that a and lot of like wounded masculine, divine masculine energy. Big time. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It, yeah. Mm. So and interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of going down that path now, right? With everything that's going on in the world. Um, a lot of these sort of like deep wounds are coming to the surface on both sides of the spectrum where mm-hmm. it's like you have the, 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 the wounded masculine energy coming to light where a lot of these people that have been mistreating women, even, you know, the way that we portray women in mainstream media, that whole, you know, conversation with Breonna Taylor, like there's so much, so many things right. that are, are compiling the hurt and as a part of that dark night of the soul, a lot of just men collectively are being called to really do the work and healing those wounds, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it goes both ways with the, you know, wounded feminine energy as well. We need to reestablish balance between the two, mm-hmm. you know, in order for that, you know, uh, cohesiveness to take place. So it's crazy how in these relationships, whether or not they succeed or whether or not they end up unfortunately breaking up, there's lessons in both of those things. Yeah. You know, there's a lesson in everything, a lesson in everything. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I actually, I'm going to go off on something else here. I wanted to talk to you about this, but I had a really crazy dream last night. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I started waking up around, four or five in the morning. Yeah. And I think it's just the energy on the planet is just really intense right now. And, um, so I'll usually wake up at four or five in the morning and I'll, I'll work on, you know, different other creative projects, but I started using that time as an opportunity to really get into my astral projection, my lucid dreaming type of work. Yeah. And I had made the intention and that's a part of kind of how astral projection works. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's something that, I've been kind of working with off and on throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And the, some of the first times I've actually done it, I didn't really even mean to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like, it, it's like, it's almost like this muscle, right? right? Your consciousness is like this muscle. You know, we talked about like in dreams where it's like the best way that you can recall a dream is, or continuously keep recalling a dream is to start writing them down. Yeah. Right. And as soon as you wake up, as soon as you, you start, to re- start to forget right away, you start to forget. And that's something that um, I've been doing for a long time, but that's something that they, they tell you a lot. And I think Edgar Casey um, used to mention it a lot in some of his um, books where it's like, it, it may not seem like a lot waking up and just writing down your dreams, but mm-hmm. for the most part, everybody fucking forgets them. Yeah. Right. But the more you write down your dreams and recall them, the more you start to remember them as you have them. Yeah. And your recollection of them actually starts to expand. Mm-hmm. Instead of remembering only, you know, fragmented bits and pieces of your dream, you're straight up recalling like an entire hour's worth of content in your mind. Right. You know, so I had kind of fallen out of my astral projection, um, you know, type of practice for a long time. I did it here and there, but I used to do it a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of implications to that. You know, uh, energetically, it can be a difficult thing to navigate um, because it does take a lot out of you. Yeah. And you do experience a lot of different types of energies and you can even be subject to sort of like various psychic attacks and things like that. But as long as you're anchored in your light, you can navigate through all this stuff. Nothing can fuck with you. Mm-hmm. So I do see it as a safe practice. Right. Right. So um, the other day I had this dream and uh, me and Jen actually talked really briefly about it. That was really, really interesting where I woke up and um, went back to sleep, ended up doing sort of an astral projection thing and started feeling that sort of vibratory stage inside of my body happening. And I started to feel that sort of like subtle transition from your body into the astral plane, mm-hmm. right? What does that mm-hmm. feel like? I've never done it, so I don't know. So... There's different methods of how to do it. One of the things that people should definitely try is you have to make the intention. I always recommend waking up super early, like three or four, enough time to where if you end up falling asleep, um, you know, you have at least three or four hours to 
get a good night's rest. Yeah. But if you wake up an hour before you have to go to work and then you spend an hour trying to astral project, there's some thing in your consciousness that, that I feel like will prevent you from doing it because you know you can't go like fully into that experience. Right. So the best thing to do is to, um, I wouldn't say three or four in the morning where you're still kind of tired. Yeah. Right. And you wake up and even just start like a meditation. You can make the intention inside of your mind that I'm going to astral project, Mm -hmm. you know, and you just sit there. It just doesn't sound like a whole lot, but there aren't a whole lot of people that will wake up at three or four in the morning just to try and kind of go back to sleep. Right. You know, so you sit there and you lay down and you just hold that thought inside of your mind that, you know, I'm going to astral project and just sit in meditation. Your mind's not moving. You're not exercising any sort of thought. To be honest, your body's way too tired to even want to do that. For the most part, you're just sitting with how you feel Mm -hmm. and it starts to creep up. It's almost like this subtle vibration. I think it's different for everybody, but for me, in um, Raymond Moody's book, Journeys Out of the Body, he calls it like the vibratory stage. Mm-hmm. It's where your whole body starts to vibrate. And what I liken it to is like, you know, if you sat on your, if you've, sit, if you've sat on your, your foot or your leg for an extended period of time, it starts to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So imagine that feeling through your entire body. Oh, okay. That's what well, it feels that's not like. not bad. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Until, you know, you completely just disconnect from your body and you find yourself in this sort of astral plane. Now, depending on who you are, it can be something more like a lucid dream or it could be something more like an astral projection, which you're tethered by this. They call it the silver cord that is attached to you. Um, But for me, you know, it can be uncomfortable. And I think the reason why is because you're still having to pass through the chambers of the ego in order to get there. Yeah. You know, because whenever the ego feels anything remotely unknown, otherworldly, mm-hmm. it's going to sort of like knock on your body and be like, hey, this isn't, this isn't something you should be doing. Yeah, what's going on? Because to me, this feels like death. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ready to go yet. Right. But you have to just sort of quiet the ego and be like, yeah, this is not what that is. Yeah. Because you trust that the universe is taking care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, there's nothing physiologically, you know, destructive or chaotic or unhealthy about it. Because yeah. when we sleep every single day and at night, when we, when we, when we sit down to sleep at the, at the end of the day, this is the one thing that comes up to my mind too, because there's a lot of people that have a fear of death, right? Yeah. And, but they don't fear going to bed at night, mm-hmm. right? They don't, when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes to sleep, I mean, essentially when you're dreaming, you're That's, not there. Yeah. You're like not you there. don't exist. It's the same as death. It's the of. same thing. Yeah. In, in, in a lot of ways. And a lot of Eastern spiritual teachers will bring that up in some of their conversations where they're like, you're afraid of, you're afraid of dying, but you can somehow go to sleep and magically disappear And you're totally fine with that. Right. But I think it's the promise that at the end of the day, you're going to come back. Right. Right. And there's still trust that is involved with that whole process. You know, Ellen Watts says that it takes an unbelievable amount of trust to even walk two steps forward Mm -hmm. or two steps to the side every single day, because you don't know as much as you know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Every movement, every action in life is not governed by you know, you're not, it isn't just governed by your decision to do it. I mean, we're in control, but not to the extent where we know exactly what's going to happen all the time. Right. You know, so there is obviously surrender involved with that, you know. So how, how is the lapse of time? Because I know time here on earth is not time in the universe. So mm-hmm. one second here could be, you know, days out astral projecting, like what, what's the equivalent yeah, well, in the yugas, like in the Hindu um, system of the yugas, like they look at like one year in the mind of God being like millions and billions of years. Wow. Right. So time is obviously just a construct of the mind. Mm-hmm. That's something that we we created here. And a lot of the time really was um, created specifically for farmers. Yeah. For agriculture. Right. Right. And damn daylight savings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Daylight savings is another one of those things. Can we just be done with that already? 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's just those different types of things that are so hardwired into our behaviors. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when it's the morning time, it's time to eat mm-hmm. breakfast, right? lunch and dinner, which by the way, I, I don't know if I told you about this, but the reason why I do intermittent fasting is because I wanted to sort of prove that conditioning wrong. Yeah. You know, there are people that like waking up, having breakfast in the morning, having lunch during lunchtime and having dinner during dinner time. But especially if you're during quarantine, you burn 60 calories sitting at your computer stationary an hour. Mm-hmm. So if you're burning 60 calories an hour and you're working for eight hours and you're consuming 3000 calories, it's not really justified. Right. So that's not why I did it, but I wanted to kind of test whether or not my body really needed three square meals a day. Right. Or even just mono meals, even just snacking. So I narrowed it down to just one meal per day. Mm-hmm. And that's been totally fine for me. Yeah. You know, and one of the reasons why is because, and this doesn't work for ever, not advocating for this at all. This just works for me. It actually, one of the reasons why it started was because I wanted to deepen my meditative practice because we don't realize how much the food that we eat can sometimes weigh us down. Yeah. And at the same time, when we're constantly eating food, your body's using the food that it's getting to digest the food right. that it had. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving your body the space by not constantly eating, then it can reroute a lot of those nutrients to different areas of the body that it can really help, mm-hmm. you know, like your body, your mind and things like that. Okay. So just a side note, I think as far as like the, what you asked about the time, mm-hmm. there's no sense of time in the astral plane. So you don't have a sense of urgency to get back or you're like, Ooh, no. I gotta, you know, be no. up in two hours. It's, it's a really interesting um, feeling because right when you hit into the astral plane, there's this part of you that has to surrender. You're not, obviously you're not using your mind. It's almost like you're watching mm-hmm. a movie okay. of so many different abstract thoughts. Okay. And the second you feel that this may actually be a dream, most people wake themselves up. Uh, you can't uh, have control. You know, it's almost like in plant medicine where it's just like the, the second you try and overcome that experience, it overcomes you. Got it. Okay. You know what I mean? So it, it, it there's another sort of force. Maybe it's our subtle body. It's our astral body that is moderating it. And our astral body is very, very abstract, you know, but even just from my own experience, when you when you're like in the astral realm, there's no sense of time at all. Mm-hmm. Everything is just sort of existing all at once. Okay, you interesting. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know you can go from being here on this table to being somewhere overseas or at your parents' house, and like two shakes of a lamb's tail. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But anyways, as I was, the reason why I brought this up in the story is I had a dream that I'd gone to this house and it was like this really large house. Mm-hmm. Right. And you were in it. What was I doing? You were, you were like in this room and there was like this red carpet, orange carpet thing on the floor. It was almost like this old sort of Victorian style home. Interesting. You know? Okay. And then I saw you there. And of course I saw Jeremy there too. And I was just thinking like, well, why am I, why am I here? This is, really interesting. And I remember you actually were sleeping on the floor and I just remember thinking like, what the fuck are you doing on the floor? <laughs> you know, you know, it's like when you, when you're, when you, you, you like go to your parents' house and you, you fall asleep and your mom's like, what are you doing on the floor? Get off the floor. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I was just going to say that as a, as a kid, I would always sleep on the floor at my grandparents' house and yeah. they would say that like, why does she always sleep on the floor? Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's get like off the floor. Your, get your, in bed. Your sibling comes up and she's like, yeah, what are you doing? Get off the floor. It was like that sort of vibe. <laughs> Yeah. So I saw that and I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that because when we talked about this the first time, um, I had a dream several days ago in Aspen. I've been dreaming a lot too, like just dreaming every single day and, um, not really sleeping through the night, waking up every 60 to 75 minutes, just waking up, even if it's just for a few seconds and I'll Mm -hmm. look at my watch and I'm like, ah, it's five o'clock, go back to bed, you know? And, um, I had, I had a dream of this Victorian house that I was in and we were redoing it, yeah. um, remodeling it. And, uh, it's probably, I'm probably having those nightmares cause this house was such a pain in my ass, oh. um, remodeling who knows. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
yeah, I had, I had that same dream and this, this dream had orange, like burnt orange, red carpet in it Yeah, and paint peeling off the walls just was like this house needed everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And that's, that's why I thought it was so compelling when you told me that story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So because crazy. it's like the, the places that we meet in the astral realm. And this is an entirely different episode. I mean, we can probably do the next episode about this where it's like we create entire worlds and universes in these realms. Yeah. And there's really no limit to them. You know, they, they, they are abstract, but um, from my experience talking to people that have, you know, ventured into astral projection, like you, you imagine it being like another version of like Burning Man, but yeah. in a spiritual dimension. You're going to all these different homes that are, that homes are different areas that are moderated by all these different energies. You have every single thought that you think in this material existence manifests as some sort of like spiritual imprint in this world. Right. You know, and you have all these different entities that are inhabiting that world too. You know, so yeah. I imagine it like just being going to like a really crazy, really fun type of festival. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So the, oh. I, I saw that dream there and um, it's funny, those that are listening, I reached out to Jenna and I was asking her, um, telling her about my dream. And then she obviously told me that she was in this house on the floor and I was like, holy shit, maybe we met in the same place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I would really like to see what I look like in other planes. I think yeah. next time I'm going to try to find a mirror to mm -hmm. see if I look like myself or if I am wearing yeah. another face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, I think we probably take up different forms. It, you, the thing is, it's like when you're in that, when you're in that sort of, sort of domain, mm -hmm. you don't think to do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, because you're not thinking of like, Hey, you know, uh, do I still have my hands? Like, like, do I, do I still feel like I'm in my body? It's so yeah. abstract. It's almost like you, the, 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 you still maintain that feeling of almost like, like sleepiness in, in dreams mm -hmm. where like, you're still sort of like, there's still sort of like this lethargic type of foggy vibe to it. Yeah. Yes. You know, where you still feel kind of like you're, you're sleeping, but also venturing at the same time. It's not like you go into astral projection and you're just completely fully alert of everything that's going on. Okay. All right. You know, but that I'm sure sense. you could, there yeah. are some people that uh, there's some, um, some different practices that people have that they actually pull it off. It's hard to quantify because everybody's different where it's like, once they pop outside of their body, they have these sort of practices of like touching their hand. And then that's how they know that they're dreaming. Oh, like there's, there's different rituals that people have once they snap into the fourth dimension Yeah, where they either leave something out deliberately that can trigger a thought without completely waking them up. Mm -hmm. um, or they, you know, they, they do this. You see this symbol a lot. Yeah. There's actually, I think some patches you can buy online. It's like, this is the lucid dreamer patches. It's like for those cool, like people that, millennials probably yeah. <laughs> and it has like basically a picture of like somebody pointing their finger like this yeah so it's like one of those little things that you could kind of set up for yourself once you enter into that realm interesting that can show you that you're dreaming yeah yeah I, that was my next question is how you can, how can you tell the difference if you're dreaming if it's just a lucid dream or if you're astral projecting because lucid dreaming i think is just is, is a lot more abstract i think um, astral projection there's this feeling of movement Okay. Like there's this feeling of movement and proximity. Well, it's, it's this feeling of like navigating from one space to another. Lucid dreaming is almost like you wake up in that world already. It's yeah. like you, you wake up in this scenario. Yeah. You wake up in okay. this, this environment that, that is sense. all happening around you. But astral projection is maybe probably a more advanced version of that where it's like you leave and now you're going deliberately to these other places. Yeah. You know? Cool. We're going to have to talk. Well, we need to do a full episode on astral projection. Yeah, we will. I read a book today on it you after did. we had that conversation. So mm. on how to do it and I'm going to try and then maybe we can. Yeah. Try it out. Try it, try, try it out. Um, maybe this week or whenever you feel comfortable with doing it in the next episode that we can have, we can talk about what your experience is like. Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be really cool. I'm going to continue trying to do it as well. Okay. And the one thing that actually came up that was, um, really interesting that I t sort of forgot about when I was uh, doing astral projection before is that some people feel the vibration in the body, but some people hear things like voices. Mm -hmm. Some people even hear laughing, 
Like, yeah, it's hard to say because everybody's different. But for me, last night when I had that, not last night, it was actually this morning when I felt that sort of vibratory stage come on, I started hearing voices. Hmm. I started hearing voices and they got progressively louder and progressively louder until it just sort of like took me over. And then I found myself in this just sort of like dream world. You cool. Know? Yeah, really, really cool stuff. But yeah, let me know how it goes. I'm going to continue doing it myself. Yeah, for sure. You Let's know? do it. Yeah, I mean, that can obviously be its own episode. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that. But <laughs> thank you guys for tuning in. It's been wonderful being here. It's nice to have you back, by the way. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Yeah. And now for quite some time, it's good to finally get back in the studio, continue working. Yeah. So anybody that's listening, thank you guys for joining us. You can find us on our website www.divine-nobodies.com. You can also find us on Instagram at divine period nobody's period podcast. And we're also on Spotify and Apple iTunes. If you can, it'd really help us out if you could like and subscribe to our episodes so that you can get our newest episodes on your phone. You can listen to it whenever you'd like, but really help us out if you leave a comment or a like. Or just send us send us a hello on Instagram. Did I miss anything? I think I got everything, right? Yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah. Talk to everybody. Everybody soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful night. Namaste, friends. Namaste. <laughs>